Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And we're here today with the new interim superintendent of the Monroe County Community School Corporation, Jim Harvey. If you have questions or comments today, you can phone us, as always, at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Welcome, Jim. Thank you. Good good to have you here, Mary Catherine. Hi. I should uh, give Jim a little bit more of an introduction. He, he's, uh, and I, I won't have all the details, but Jim's been a teacher, a principal. He was principal at Bloomington High School North, uh, an administrator in the MCCSC, including personnel director for a time, uh, interim superintendent at the MC, MCCSC one time before, and was also superintendent of the Bloomfield School District. So is that pretty much covered? That covers it just fine. You, sound, right. you know, that description makes you sound like a human lightning rod. Rod. Now that probably goes with the job sometimes. Yeah. Well, let's just see where you've uh, you know where you've started. What what you what you've started with in your time as interim superintendent. It's been what nine days now. Now this is the ninth day. It seems like the ninetieth. So so what yeah what have you been doing to just get started? Well, uh, I emailed one of our children that my learning curve is vertical. Uh, But basically, uh, a a great deal of it has been, quite frankly, uh, really just overwhelmed with people. I've seen a lot of people, talked to a lot of people, obviously some of them more than once. But I mean, in terms of of trying to get acquainted with people that are new to me within the school corporation, uh, but also, as you're well aware, school starts in a week and a half. And so there have been meetings going on that I've been able to go over, for example, uh, and um, Wednesday morning and talk with uh, uh, the, the custodians who were having an all-day training session and talk to the custodial staff. I had another day that I was invited and I went over and talked to the secretaries who were having a similar kind of day. So uh, some of it's been large group. Most of it's been one-on-one. There have been some of it. I mean, uh, you know, some fun, some not so fun. Uh, we, I found out uh, – <laughs> After the board had appointed me, that we were going to be bargaining. Uh, <laughs> oh boy! Then so we, our first bargaining session is on Monday, mm-hmm. and um, that's a, this is not necessarily the the time when you would do that, but we are, and so away we go. So uh, it's uh, been a little bit of everything, mm-hmm. uh, but very people intensive and. Uh, uh, that's that's fine. That's just yeah. just what it is. It, it's interesting when you mention uh, bargaining. I, I would imagine that when you were back in your first teaching job, you didn't imagine that you, you know you. I mean, you you were probably in it for the kids, and you didn't imagine that a lot of your responsibilities later on would be oh negotiating contracts with teachers and. Yeah, bus drivers, those kinds of is things. Is it the ISTA that you're entering into bargaining with? Yeah, the, well, the local affiliates, the Monroe County Education Association, okay. uh, MCEA. Uh, yeah. It, it's really a strange animal. As you probably know, the collective bargaining law in Indiana was passed in the early 70s. And, uh, uh, but it, it creates a strange relationship when you realize that the, the association or the, the bargaining unit with whom you're negotiating is composed exclusively of college graduates. Mm-hmm. Uh, show me another place in society where somebody that, – that, that that's the forum for how you deal with some of these issues with a group like that. And there are no others, uh, you know, professional groups that you deal with in that kind of an environment. So it makes for some interesting kinds of things. It has some aspects of traditional bargaining, but in other ways it doesn't mm-hmm. because of, of, quite frankly, the parties at the table and the nature of the kind of things or the institution that, that we're all a part of. So – uh, yeah, it 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 is that, but I you know I don't I really don't want to put a negative spin on that. It's mm-hmm. just that it's one of those things that typically is is done at other times, and for it to be juxtaposed right now at the time that we're getting ready to start school, uh, the contract expires the day before school starts. <laughs> this is not the convergence of events that I would have chosen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, little urgency there. Yeah. He has a gift for understatement among yeah. <laughs> like his other gifts. Right. 
so you, the last time you were interim superintendent was when the search uh, ultimately found John Coomer, correct? So yes, was, right. Yeah. So, I mean, the circumstances now are, are different. I mean, the, the and I, I want to get into the morale issue, I guess, early on here in the program because I think, you know, as anybody who's been reading our newspaper and hopefully everybody uh, out there um, knows, I mean, this has been a – a contentious time for the MCCSC, and it, it ended with uh, you know sort of the early exit of the superintendent, Dr. John Malloy. So um, a lot of the the principals, the teachers, staff. There's been a lot of unrest in the last six months to a year. I'm just using a ballpark figure. How do you rebuild that kind of uh, uh, low morale? How do you how do you go about trying to make sure that everybody um, sort of gets focused back on serving the kids of the community? Hmm. You sound like the question that I got asked by the school board. And <laughs> There's really not a simple answer to that, but you kind of go to the end and not the beginning. And the end is is that you're looking at the relationship between a teacher and a classroom of kids. If you start there and go backwards in terms of saying, what do I need to do to help that person do that job effectively, then you begin to see, well, what can I do to help that? Um, and some of, as I say, is very personal. Some of it's setting a tone. Uh, some of it is being as open and as candid and as honest as you can be, trying to uh, be as transparent to share information. I think those kinds of things empower people and build trust. And you and I both know that some of this is not immediate. It's it will take time. We didn't get to this point overnight nor will we heal overnight. But there are things that people can do. And uh, I actually was willing to consider this because I thought that I had something that I might be able to do to help heal. Because of my long involvement in this community, the fact that I've, I've been in a lot of schools and there are a lot of people that I, that I know that um, know who I am, that maybe I could help. And I had a really good friend tell me, Jim, this isn't about what you're going to get. It's what you're able to give. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where we are. And I, you know, I really trust that the, that, that teacher in that classroom on the 16th isn't going to be thinking about me or what has happened this summer. I hope that they're focused on those kids and what they need and that we can go on from there. All right. The phone number is 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. I really like your approach about uh, making sure the teachers have what they need because as a parent of an elementary school child, that's what I'm looking for from a school administration. I I want them to support the teachers and just as you said, um, give them a working environment that makes that a place that they want to be because I think everybody functions at a better level when they're happy. And so um, I think that this is a, a, a good t- turn of events just from that standpoint because I think that um, this opens some doors that I don't think we're going to open any other way. And I'm just curious, what are you hearing from other parents? And I'm sure that with all the folks you've spoken with recently, you've had an opportunity to interact with some parents as well. Actually, I haven't. A little, mm-hmm. not a lot. I mean, most of the people with whom I've talked so far are, have some connection to the school community, the school corporation in one way or another. Um, that engaging with parents is something that, that really is not going to come a great deal until, until school starts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so most of my conversations have been, uh, to a great extent, uh, people uh, – that are already connected to the school in one way or another. Mm-hmm. There, there have been a significant number of people, on the other hand, who have some involvement with some of the initiatives that were mm-hmm. in, uh, and begun under Dr. Malloy that are 
very anxious that the momentum of those uh, not be lost. And so uh, we've been, I've been involved in several meetings already, not of those groups, but uh, that are going to lead up to that. And so some of those we're going to re-engage uh, very shortly uh, in terms of what do we do with the work that's already been done and where do we go from here? Because clearly there are some community expectations for the, those processes and uh, how how we go from here. This may be a little bit too micro of a question, but maybe not. Are all the vacancies that were created at the end of the year, are, are all those filled and everybody's in place? And I know we've lost some principals, and, and of course there's always retiring teachers and then some other teachers who've just chosen to leave. Are all those vacancies filled, and are you ready to hit the ground running on the 16th? Um. For the most part, yes. There, we have a couple of air shortage areas that that are of a concern uh, in the, in special education. Uh, there are some people, uh, certified speech pathologists, for example, are really scarce, and uh, so we have a couple of areas there. But some of this is kind of the usual down to the last minute mm-hmm. kinds of things. But by the same token, some of the things we are we we will not know until school starts. And I'll give you an example. As you're well aware, we're initiating a, the K plus program mm-hmm. with kindergarten, uh, while those uh, enrollments have already occurred and are occurring. There are some people who still show up the first day of school. They're either new to the community or somehow we've missed them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so some of that doesn't settle down. By the same token, there are people who may have been here in the spring, thought they were going to be here. The husband gets transferred or wife, and then the, the, now the family's gone. And, mm-hmm. and so uh, because they're not settled in their new community. So, I mean, the, that kind of thing with regard to staffing and, and uh, teacher assignments and, and cl- class lists and that mm-hmm. kind of thing – You'd like to say it's it's settled, but it's not. It's going to be fluid, and it's going to be fluid right through those first two or three days of school. And uh, uh, you try to minimize that, but um, having been a principal, there's two months you would, or two things you'd not like to do: one, start school, and the other one's finish it. <laughs> yeah. Especially the, the older the kids, the more that's true. Yeah. Uh, with high school. Um, you have kids that will come back and and then be gone again, and then at the end of the year, it's just lots of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, anyway. <laughs> All right, our guest today is Jim Harvey, who's the interim school superintendent for the Monroe County Community School Corporation. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at eight five five zero eight one one or eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight, or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Um, this interim tag, Jim, some some would say that could uh, – you know, having an interim superintendent could hurt some of the momentum of what's happening here. And I, I'd just like to ask you to address that issue. Um, probably some of that, quite frankly, is unavoidable. Um, and if it were not expected, it probably should be that in any institution of the size that the school corporation is with the kind of mission that it has, you change the leader, the in this case the superintendent, CEO, whatever you want to call, uh, pick another one in town. If Mark Moore left the hospital, there would be a a period where some of the things that they were doing might not continue exactly as he would have continued had he stayed. And so the same is true for us. Uh, But the board was very clear in terms of of talking with me about what they hoped that I would be able to do. The first thing was, and we've already talked about that to some extent, was to to try to promote some healing uh, within the school corporation. The second thing was, was to try to maintain uh, the initiatives that had already been gone, be, been begun, that there are a significant number of things that we ha- have done uh, that are, are not connected to any of the other circumstances that brought us to this mm-hmm. point. And so to label this or label that um, is really unfair. It's unfair, quite frankly, to Dr. Malloy. It's unfair to the people who have spent countless hours getting involved in these things. Mm-hmm that 
and the work that they've done is is really quite substantial. And so we have to to to, to maintain that and move on. Uh, that's not necessarily going to be easy, but that's what. I think the community has a right to expect. I know that that's what the board communicated to me. And so part of it is how do you figure out how to do that? And so um, I'd like to say, no, we're, we're fine. We're not going to lose anything. And yeah. that's, that's not so, mm-hmm. uh, that, that some of the things uh, that John Malloy was able to do, I'm not because I'm not he, you know, that, uh, or him, which is the right. <laughs> you know, here I am. I'm going to make sure I'm correct. Yeah, yeah, be careful. <laughs> but, but at any rate, well, if Sally were here, she would tell yeah. me for sure. <laughs> uh, but uh, by the same token, um, he's not and I am. And so we have to go on from there. There is that reality of the circumstance. And so um, there are some absolutely brilliant things that, that that he did and that he brought to this community and, and things that, that we can move on from. Um, do I share all of that? Am I able to do all that? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But there are the things that I'm able to do that maybe he couldn't. Well, maybe. And so um, I really am committed to trying to, to, to move forward where I can mm-hmm. and, and where people are willing um, so yeah, well, a, a couple. I, I think in in this is really a, a very broad question, but a lot of the discussion um, in the last couple of years has been about. Um, I know there's a high school work group that's set up. There's a strategic planning group that's set up, and there's been an awful lot of discussion. I went to to one forum um, a, a few months ago that is about the you know the need for change. You know the the Thomas Friedman world is flat kind of. Uh, Change, you know that that um, there there could be you know some total restructuring of school corporations and new ways to do things in school corporations and and you know th- as I said this is very broad and you can approach this question any way you want but I just want some reaction to the notion that our school our school system needs to be revamped in some either significant or you know not so significant way. Do you? I mean, you've worked in the corp- in, in this, this kind of a system for a long time. Are, is there a need for some pretty dramatic change? That's a, <laughs> that's a really difficult question. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, Tom Friedman, on, on one hand, it's informative. The other part of it, it's frightening mm-hmm. in terms of what he's talking about and, and how quickly things changed. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the change, we, we do it and we don't even realize it's changed. And you're dealing with that in terms of, of the mm-hmm. newspaper. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That it's a real struggle. Uh, but part of it is also is what you're used to. I mean, I'm not really interested in reading a book on online, mm-hmm. nor am I interested in printing it out that, that – uh, and I know Sally is, and she loves Sally's it. Jim's wife, by so, the way, who's yeah, taught, taught, taught for years in yeah. the MCCSC. Well, she's part of this, too. So anyway, <laughs> uh, but at any rate, um, we have to be responsive in that respect. And we also, in some areas, have to be proactive. And I'll give you an example is that we had a very extended discussion yesterday with uh, – some of the secondary people, secondary meaning basically high school, uh, all the high school principals plus Ed Brown uh, from the, the Hoosier Hills uh, Area Vocational School plus several others in terms of, of looking at what is an appropriate response to what's going on in our community with regard to the life sciences. Mm-hmm. That you cannot be a part of this community or have gone to the convention center, the meeting th- that they had uh, in May – and not realize that we are at a point that could change the, the, the future of Bloomington and Monroe County for uh, the next hundred years in terms of, of the companies that are here, the kind of needs that they have, and that that's reality. And so the question becomes, how do we respond to that, and how do we change the schools to respond to that? Because... Our goal should be, and I talked to administrators about this on Tuesday, selfishly, I want all 1,200 of those jobs that are being talked about to go to citizens of Monroe Monroe County, Mm -hmm. that this community has suffered with the loss Mm -hmm. of, quote, manufacturing jobs, whether it's RCA or Westinghouse or, or Otis, 
and that these are jobs, clearly jobs of a different nature and different type, but we have a critical role to play in this in terms of preparing students for that kind of technical world. And uh, you and I both know that our children are much more conversant, much more comfortable with some of the technology than, than, than we are uh, as adults. And so how do you create environments, learning environments in a school, organizations within a school that will allow that to happen? Some of it is thinking outside the box in terms of, for example, we could never, ever replicate the lab facilities that you would find at, at Boston Scientific or Baxter or Cook. Never. They're, I'm sorry. We just never have had, never will have those kinds of resources. Mm-hmm. And so we're chasing an, an unattainable goal. But we can, for example, I had a meeting uh, with Linda Williamson and Steve Bryant from BEDC. And we were talking about one of the questions I asked them, what kind of training facilities does Cook have? How do they train their people mm-hmm. that that may there's got to be some kind of, a, of not only of a delivery, but it could begin with middle school kids job shadowing at Cook to see that hey, this is exciting. I could do this, and then putting programs in place in middle school and high school that would prepare kids to be there. There will always be, I suspect, a dissonance between the. are in product and what the business world wants. Um, And if Tom Friedman's right, that that dissonance dissonance is wider and getting wider faster. But um, institutional change is not easy, but I'm not sure that you do it by scaring people to death in terms of frightening them. I mean, I think you have to, to, to get people to the point where they understand that there's a need for change. There's a need for us to, to the reality of living in our world. Um, is how do we change that? We all walk around with cell phones in our pockets. If you'd have told you that was going to be possible 25 years ago, nah, wouldn't happen. So you have to be open. Uh, it doesn't matter how old you are. Can you imagine being 15 years old now and saying, well, what's your life going to be like when you're 30? What's it going to be like when you're 40? Uh, that we have to, as part of that, create a, a, a desire for learning, realizing that it's not going to be just K-12. Uh, IU just announced that they're going to be doing some initiatives with K-16. Uh, look at what's happening with Ivy Tech. I mean, that uh, I mean, ages from what to what. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the learning opportunities in this community are extraordinary, and there's a convergence of some of these things that, that we really want to be a part of, and clearly from the involvement of people on these work groups want us to be involved, want to have an influence, um, and want to help. And uh, that's really exciting, and that's the kind of thing that we really need to be about. We need to be talking about those kinds of things and not what's transpired this summer. Okay, we're gonna. We've had a break break time, so uh, I'm gonna remind our our listeners that Jim Harvey is here with us. Jim's the interim superintendent of the Monroe County Community School Corporation. I'm sure the second half of the program, you're gonna get some of those calls that uh, we we know are coming. Uh, just phone us at eight five five zero eight eight one one or eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight, or send your email to noon at indiana edu. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. Each day, WFIU airs announcements of lectures, performances, exhibits, public forums, and public services. Announcements and links are also posted on the public events of our website, wfiu.indiana.edu. To include your event or announcement, you may utilize the Submit Event feature. It's located next to the event's calendar. 
And that address again is wfiu.indiana.edu. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael and our guest today, Jim Harvey, the Interim Superintendent of the Monroe County Community School Corporation. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. You know, I think this is talking about the situation in the school system is probably the hottest item, a news item topic in in town uh, since the spring. I think that the water line was kind of short-lived, but this short-lived, is the one that's right. really, you know, been on everybody's mind. And and most, you know, this is a, a community that loves education and it's it's uh, important in, in a lot of people's lives. So thank you so much for taking time to be here today. This is, uh, this is a good topic. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like you have Nothing else to do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Have you? You know, when you when you think about uh, school starts in a week and a half, I'm, you know, it's been so long since I've been involved in any way. Will you make an address to like a big assembly of all the teachers, staff? Does that does that happen? That that does happen. Mm -hmm. Have you written it yet? Um, No, I haven't. Yeah. Um, But that's not to say I haven't been working Uh on it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah, it, it will be on uh, the morning of the 14th. Uh-huh. Is that right? If that's Monday, that's the day. So um, a week, then, week from right. Monday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the North Auditorium. Mm-hmm. So so what are some of the key points that you want to stress? Some of, I'm, I'm sure some of the things you've already said here today. but um, Part of it obviously has to address with some of the initiatives, some of the kinds of things that we've been about. Part of it needs to deal with the healing aspect of it. Part of it has to be uh, deal with the fact that I'm kind of like a bad penny who continues to turn on. <laughs> no, no I, I'm being facetious, but uh, I, I stood on that stage uh, as the principal at North 30 years ago, and so there's uh, uh, some symbolism in that for me at any rate. Um, and so... Um, my life uh, has connected with a lot of people over these years. A lot of kids uh, were graduates of North during the time that I was principal. Uh, there are people in the district who say, well, you hired me, you know. Uh, and so that just happens. And uh, uh, so there's this is a very human kind of thing. I mean, part of it is about the work that we do and that part of it, but part of it is also um, the, the human endeavor of what it is we're about and what we've been through. And I think I have to talk about that. I think I have to acknowledge that. We have people in our school district that quite literally are grieving over mm-hmm. what's transpired, mm-hmm. that this has been, in your words, uh, a story that has legs mm-hmm. and has lasted a long time. And we have to acknowledge, I think, as as a way to begin to heal, that this has been a very painful and, quite frankly, a very sad set of circumstances for us, not only within the school community, but the, the greater community of, of Bloomington. Um. You could not be here and be a reader of the newspaper or a customer at the barbershop without Mm -hmm. having heard this. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this is something that most people in our community are aware of and are concerned about. Yeah, yeah, I just – everybody has a little bit of ownership even if it's – even if your kids are grown, you have a grandchild in school. I mean this is just – I think – I can't think of another institution that that has more feeling of ownership throughout the community. Well, and and, I mean stating the obvious is is that that a person's most prized possession are their children. Mm Next to their spouse, but I mean, in, in some cases, not. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Okay, but, okay. Yeah. I'll on a parallel. Yeah. No, I don't. I, that wasn't fun, was it? At any rate, but people really do pay attention. Mm-hmm. That there's no other institution within our community like this one, mm-hmm. uh, and in that respect, it is very special. People pay a lot of attention to it. They have a lot of loyalty to it. I mean. 
Uh, I had lunch on Wednesday with uh, the administrators at South. Mark Fletcher invited me over and wanted me to have lunch so I'd get to know the, the administrators at South. And during the course of that, they gave me some South paraphernalia, you know, a hat and, and some shirts and stuff. Well, yesterday we had this meeting which involved Mark, but also Jeff Henderson from North, who shows up with a box of North paraphernalia because he'd heard the day before that I had gotten. And so there is that loyalty Mm -hmm. that's there. Uh, We're all cats of some kind, but, you know, but it really is. And so uh, when you go back to your question about change uh, and, and we've had, you know, you hear the discussion about paradigm shifts and so on, that in change... I, people are receptive to change, but there are some things that we know about here, about how to, to, to educate children, how to run schools, how to prepare for whatever world Tom Friedman or others dream up that's out there. Mm-hmm. That you look at the people who have gone through the schools in Bloomington and gone on to other places in our culture, and I don't care if, if it's like my son who's an orderly at Bloomington Hospital or my, his twin brother, who's an architect in London. They're products of these schools, and they are leading valuable, important, successful lives. They're happy people. And that's, that part's not going to change. It really isn't. Uh, I mean, they, they know things. Ted does things with his cell phone that I have not a clue as to what he's doing. Uh, but... Uh, that's that's just the nature of of what it is, and, and it isn't always going to be predictable because mm-hmm. you're dealing with people who are just the opposite. Sometimes they're very unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A couple of emails that have come in. Um, this first one is just uh, well, I'll just read it. I do not have any questions or concerns for Mr. Harvey about or about MCCSC, as my three kids have all completed that portion of their education. I would like to thank Mr. Harvey for giving up his retirement to return and help MCCSC. Also, I want to congratulate the school board for bringing Mr. Harvey back on board. The school board, the parents of MCCSC students and teachers and staff will find they are working with an extremely talented, knowledgeable, and communicative administrator. My best wishes go out to he and his wife, Sally. We mentioned uh, when we were on the break that uh, Sally must be a lady with a sense of humor. Uh, (laughs) A fair degree of tolerance (laughs) put up with me all this time. But uh, those are really kind words. And, And... I guess I would say in response that this, this is not about me. This is about what people can do to help the schools mm-hmm. and um, that, again, we're back to the classroom, mm-hmm. that teacher in that room with those kids that I'm really secondary in a lot of ways about what happens. I have the luxury, quite frankly, of reflection in my office in the administration building. I have time to do things. If I need to go to the bathroom, I can go. Mm -hmm. Not that teacher. That's right. I mean, you talk about saturation overload. Uh, We're talking about from the time those those kids walk through. Do you really want to think about the the intellectual exercise of teaching a child to read? I mean, it's amazing. It Mm -hmm. truly is amazing how we learn, but we know how to do that. Mm-hmm. There, there are legions of them out there who, who know how to do that, and those little kids are going to come, and and you, and they're going to start down that road that that leads them. Uh, who knows where? Who knows where? Now? Yeah, yeah, I mean, to London and parts beyond, and so <laughs> that there's just an excitement about that in terms of of when you. I can retract part of my statement earlier. When you start school, that there's an excitement that goes with that that's just overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody who works with the kids in school shares that. And I don't care if they're the custodians trimming the grass to make sure that the entryway is, you know, trip-free for the kids coming up to walk. Or I don't care. Uh, or the food. I mean, you know, that that's inviting an appetite. We all play a part. And those kids... That's the payoff. That's that what makes makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. Well, here's another email that came in. It says, since Bloomington is a college town, advanced placement classes get a lot of attention. What are your general thoughts on AP classes? How successful are they being completed in our high schools? And do you have any plans for AP changes during your term? Good question. Um, 
Let's clarify what we're talking about because they're not the same and they're not necessarily interchangeable. AP refers to advanced placement courses, Mm -hmm. which are um, a part of the college board, the same organization that administers the SAT and a lot of other, you know, exams to get in law school or whatever. Uh, MedCats for medical school. The ACP is the Advanced College Project, which is a program of Indiana University, uh, mainly through continuing studies. And it it's, is a program. Let me talk about ACP first in that it is a program whereby a school like North or South would identify a teacher, an English teacher, for example, and they would teach uh, at generally the senior level a a senior level class that has all of the curriculum rigor and components that you would find in W131 mm-hmm. here in the arts and sciences at, at IU. Mm-hmm. The beauty of that one is, is that the student gets dual credit. They get high school credit for lack of a better term, English 12, mm-hmm. but they also get credit for that comp class at IU. And it's it, it, and, and it is IU granting that credit because it's a dual enrollment. The student pays the fees as if they were an IU student, mm. and they get credit. There's no question that you have to perform this well or whatever. You get a grade just like you would as if you were sitting here as a freshman at IU. ACP, on the other hand, or I'm sorry, AP, on the other hand, is a program where uh, you teach a course that is at the high school level supposed to be at the level and rigor of a college class, but the way in which that is ascertained is by the administration of a test. Uh, when I taught at Bloomington High School South, I taught a compacted class for sophomores that basically met a, the equivalent of a period, the students got three credits, a, two credits in world history and a third credit in AP European history. We used some of the same materials but basically different materials than what I did in my regular world history classes. But we did – there are a number of things in terms of doing that. You go to additional training, et cetera, and this is a long-winded answer to this question. But uh, the, the real determinant on that one is the, of taking the exam. And you, a satisfactory score is a three. Uh, but so I had students who scored one, two, three, four, and five. Uh, hopefully, f- fewer ones and twos than three, fours, and fives. In fact, about seventy percent of my kids passed the, the the AP exam. But as you've seen, if you study the statistics, the number of students taking AP classes has gone sky high. So what did the universities do in response? No, the threshold successful level standard is not three that the college board says is an acceptable score. It's four. Mm-hmm. And Indiana University is a four. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want somebody like MIT or Harvard, it's a five. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a, a very high standard and it is a very difficult test. So on the one hand, an AP class has a somewhat unpredictable outcome, whereas the ACP program, which is – but it is specific on only this institution, Indiana University, uh, has a much more predictable uh, outcome. So um, – Any plans for changes during your term? I don't know because I don't know – enough about the specifics mm-hmm. without having talked to either um, Mr. Fletcher or, or Mr. Henderson about the specific mm-hmm. uh, concerns that may be at, at the high schools. This is a difficult one because um, both have – both are excellent programs, but they clearly have different ways that they're uh, implemented. Both have different outcomes. Um, I think, you know, the AP classes are valuable because of the expectation level that it sets. Mm -hmm. But we have a really hard time providing these and and it it requires superior teachers, additional training on their part, particularly in the content area. Mm -hmm. It requires a a, – 
in either case, ACP or AP, an outlay of cash on the part of the family. Uh, but there are also requirements in both cases where they want reduced class sizes. Mm-hmm. I, the, the recommended class size for an AP class is 18 to 20. During the time that I taught the classes at South, I had two sections of sophomores, and I rare—I never had less than 50 students in the two sections, and sometimes it was nearer 60. So I was you know, f- at least 50 percent, if not more, over mm-hmm. what the recommended uh, delivery is for uh, an AP class. Uh, so— I don't know. It's something we take a look at, but we will always have the dissonance between what we would like to be able to do and what we can afford to do. (laughs) I should also say that this uh, that author said uh, thank you for accepting the challenge. (laughs) All right, eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight and noon at indiana.edu. A couple of issues to sort of piggyback on on that question. I mean, one is. the whole idea of are our schools too large and how do you how do you chunk those down? I think uh, a lot of the work maybe that the high school work group has been doing has to do with, you know, smaller school, school schools within a school or um, some other, you know, models that they've seen. So I, I guess that's part one of the question. You know, what, are our schools too large? Are there ways to break them down into smaller? The answer is yes and no. Uh-huh. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that... D- if you go back in the history of, of education in this country, these are James B. James B. Conant comprehensive high schools that were envisioned in the mid-50s. Um, both North and South fit that, that mold. These are large comprehensive high schools that offer a, a wide range of courses and very extended levels of courses. That You want to talk about an AP class. There, these classes did not exist in schools of smaller size. I mean, we, we have difficulty offering fourth-year French, for example, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, or second-year calculus or advanced physics. These are, are hard to, to be able to do. Mm-hmm. And so um, part of it is in the answer to this is, is the economy of size. Uh, of how do you do some of this? And so are our schools too big in response to that? The answer is no, Mm -hmm. because you cannot, for example, provide um, some of these programs on a small scale. And, but on the other hand, if you look at are they too big and the part of the answer that's yes is is on the affective side, Mm -hmm. on... I've talked about the fact with that that one of the things about high schools is finding a place for kids to connect, or for the lack of a better term, finding niches, places for kids to fit in. And they find them, and some of our people are just incredible in terms of being able to um, create those. But... And if you look at the kinds of things that that both North and South are doing, and well, I mean, you have to consider the alternative school, and you have to consider their Hoosier Hills Area Vocational School. Those are small schools, mm-hmm. but you you have to look at uh, what kinds of things our our the staffs in those schools have done toward building those relationships. One of the things that Mr. Fletcher wanted to talk to me about was the way in which they've organized their assistant principals and counselors and teachers to work with students as they go through the school. That they fought, there's a, they're, they're, the, the administrator gets the kids as a freshman and stays with them for four years. And so you begin to know who needs help here, who needs help there. Can we do better? Absolutely. Um, I know that, for example, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has put a lot of money into, quote, small schools, and there's, there's those kinds of initiatives in Indiana. So if you've been reading Business Week this summer in the last month, you'll also find out that some of the research that they're doing is that they're not saying that necessarily small schools have produced any better results than large schools. So the question becomes two. The first one is, are our schools successful? Uh, and secondly, in the areas where they are not, what are we doing about it? How are we changing the, the definition of north or south to make them more effective? 
uh, either in the form of teaching or creation of ways that help kids connect more easily, that create more caring environments. And there are a significant number of things that, that both staffs, both schools, North has, you know, has applied for a, a small, I, I, this may not be the right term, but I think it's small community learning grant in terms of how would they do some of this? Mm-hmm. How, how do you organize in, in, in smaller structures? But you see, part of the payoff or part of the problem is, is that if you do these kinds of things, they cannot be restrictive. Do you really want in good conscience to tell kids in this community that go to North that they don't have a chance to be in Janice Stockhouse's jazz band? Mm-hmm. I don't want to deliver that yeah. message. At the same time, I wouldn't want to tell somebody they couldn't be in, in Gwen Whitten or Gwen Upchurch's Sounds of South. I, you can deliver that message. I don't think <laughs> <to>. <laughs> And so how, how do we get the best of both worlds? And that's, that's really the, the key when we're looking at this. And, 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 but it's not just ownership of the high schools. That's why if you look at the membership and the dialogue of the, the graduation workforce group, the folk, it's not just about the high schools. It's about what we're doing all the way along in terms of career awareness, the preparation, the emphasis on reading. Mm-hmm. Um, of, of career work, there's a you know it, it's high schools tend to be because they're the end, the last four years tend to be the the focus of some of this. But some of that's not deserved. I mean, some of these things need to be addressed earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and reading's a case in point. Yeah. Okay. okay, we've got uh, about six or eight minutes to go, and I think we've got lots of uh, email. Yeah. That, does that mean we get? I'm sp- I should be give you shorter answers. <laughs> was, well, yeah, probably. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right, here we go. This is the lightning round. Uh, thanks for having a session on this topic. I can recall only one previous program featuring Dr. Malloy, and don't recall ever hearing you interview any school board members. I wonder whether this was your choice or the school leadership's. I would encourage the board and the interim school superintendent to do a better job communicating with everyone in the school corporation, which belongs not just to parents, but all citizens. As the parent of two small children who will be entering school in the coming years, I don't feel I'm getting nearly enough information about school decision-making that will affect me and my family and our whole community in the future. What can the school board and school leadership do to keep the community more fully informed? That's a, an excellent question, and I share that. And I think we do need to do a better job. Uh, how we do that maybe is this kind of thing. And I basically would say to, to you, I, I will come back anytime you invite me. And I will say that to any other public forum in the community. You invite me, I will come. Uh, I can't speak for the board, but quite frankly, if you will invite the board, I bet you they will come. I would encourage the, 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 the writer to make sure that they look at, at community access TV mm-hmm. and that right. our, all the school board meetings are, are advertised. I, I can't say that I watch them always in their entirety, but I'm one of those people that drives my wife crazy sitting there clicking. And I, but I watch sometimes, and I, you know, there will be something that will catch me. Uh, there are things that we put out, but there are, we can do better. We can do a better job. For example, uh, we could have had you know people at the county fair. Mm-hmm. It, for example, something that we didn't do, but we could have. There, mm-hmm. there are. Does everybody in Monroe County go to the fair? No, but there are people who go every year. Who may that may be the only time that I might really see them. Mm-hmm. And so we have to look at ways of of how do we get more information out always, always go to the school. But there are some interesting kinds of things. I mean, the Internet, Mr. Friedman, uh, but we're, we're coming up. I mean, the Board of Realtors is, for example, uh, helping us uh, host a website that's going to have GPS data about schools, tenants boundaries, where transportation routes are, mm-hmm. where pickup points are. Be a godsend to parents or anybody else looking for a house. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there – but, I mean, what, what – what a kind of thing for people uh, to be able to know for sure where your child's going to be picked up. And so there are all these things and sharing information. We're trying to put more and more and more things on the web uh, in terms of the website for the school corporation. Uh, but some of it has to be people to people, person to person. Some of it has to be conventionally in writing. Some of it's just exactly what we're doing. And uh, 
I will come back, as I said, and I hope other people will, too. Okay. Here's another question. As a former teacher in another Indiana school corporation, I believe that I understand the vast challenges that all education purveyors face today. I'm not asking the acting superintendent to be a Pollyanna, but I'm sure that despite the important issues that must be faced currently, much good news exists in the MCCSC. Could he elaborate? We have about three minutes to go now. About three minutes. <laughs> but no pressure. Well, I mean, I think people tend to focus on test scores, how our kids do. You look at the SAT scores. You look at the I-STEP scores. Uh, we generally are above average, not necessarily in every school, not at every grade level. But academically, our kids perform pretty well. Uh, can we do better? The answer is yes. And you always look at where you are and where you need to be. That's a basic uh, premise of, of No Child Left Behind, that you, if you're in school for a year, you ought to make a year's progress. And that's it in 25 words or less. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, then something may be wrong with the instruction that you're receiving. Uh, but you and I both know that kids learn in, in, in different ways. And so sure. therein is the dilemma. But I think on another side, sometimes we tend to look just at uh, those measurable kinds of things. And I think you do have to look at whether or not we're turning out people that are good citizens. Mm -hmm. I agree. Here's another question that came in. My children benefit from the multi-age classrooms at Templeton Elementary. They're in the K-6 class and have benefited from innumerable aspects of being in the same class for more than one year at a time. Besides the education, benefits include things like interpersonal relationship building and an acceptance of others who are not like oneself. Relieving children of the boundaries of age works also to relieve them of boundaries of gender and even improve the sibling relationships in the class. We're very happy with this class, and I was wondering if you have a plan to help support this environment and if you are willing uh, or – I'm sorry – and if you are planning on expanding this type of program throughout the county. Well, as you know, the multi-age classrooms exist in other buildings other than, than Templeton, and there's a, a considerable degree of latitude within the school corporation in terms of how a particular school organizes uh, those, I believe the other programs are at, at Clear Creek. Uh, but those are choices that those faculties made in terms of how they look at it. The way of engagement is looking at that, that uh, in the law is called PL-221 that creates school improvement committees and basically makes that principal and that staff and the parents in that school assume responsibility for developing how that school is going to be organized mm-hmm. uh, to, to assess how their children do, what kind of things they need. And, and sometimes it's not always uh, how we organize for instruction. I mean, the, you can do curriculum mapping with in different ways. The organization is how you do it to, to provide the instruction. There are obviously some significant advantages for that. Uh, but is that something you do across the board? I don't think so. I think that, that that people are knowledgeable. When I say people, I'm talking about teachers and professionals. And if they feel that that's the best way to serve the needs of those kids, then then they have the latitude to be able to do that. Obviously, we could go on for a long time with Jim Harvey. We'll have to take him up we on got, his offer to we come We will. Back. We'll invite you back, Jim. <laughs> All right. But we are, we're out of time for today. We need to apologize to the emailers that we did not get to their questions. Sorry. All right. Sorry about that. But thank you, Jim. Thanks for being here. From Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Claire Didi, and engineer John Shelton, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times.